It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia! A quick friendly reminder, today is a great day to change that habit you've been meaning to change. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends, and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. And KJ. Great to have you back, as always. Additionally, joining us as a guest for this episode is... Mahoney. Thanks for joining us, Mahoney. Mahoney and I are friends from college. You may remember him from our Back to the Future Part 3 episode, in which he provided great insights on how that movie is woefully underrated. Great news! Mahoney conveniently continues to like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we followed up our famous movie rant where anything goes. KJ, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 2001 to an early post-9-11 world. The Vatican broadcasts its official public approval of Pokemon. Stanley Kubrick has asked journalists to refer to 2001 A Space Odyssey as 2001 instead of 2001, hoping it'll influence the pronunciation of this year. While Stanley Kubrick is trying to change the lexicon, Jay Chandrasekhar brings his second movie, Super Troopers, to Sundance. Jay Chandrasekhar is also known for the Dukes of Hazards, Beer Fest, and of course, Super Troopers 2. Super Troopers shared the Sundance Festival with other films such as Todd Field's In the Bedroom, Richard Kelly's Donnie Darko, and Christopher Nolan's Memento. Nick, tell us about Super Troopers. Before I go into that, uh, the reason we selected this movie uh, this week was we've been doing some pretty serious movies so far in season two, and I thought it'd be fun to bring something a little bit more lighthearted. So what I decided to do is throw about a dozen comedies Mahoney's way and see which one uh, he would prefer to talk about. And the guest choice for this week was none other than Super Troopers. In this movie, we're introduced to a crew of Vermont State Troopers who do the absolute minimum to stay gainfully employed, focusing more on their hijinks than their oath to protect and serve. This remains true even as an imminent closure threatens the station due to a tight fiscal situation. Vermont's best gets wrapped up in exposing a drug smuggling ring only to find out that their rivals, the local Spurberry Police Department, are in cahoots with the criminals. Somehow they thwart the wrongdoers but still don't live happily ever after. Or do they? Tom, if you only had one word to describe Super Troopers, what would it be? Soft-boiled. KJ, what word would you have? Irreverent. Mahoney? I chose ridiculous. And my word would be quotable. It's time for question one. What was the previous record for the cat game? Locked in. Locked in? And this is the previous record, not the record set. Correct. Locked in. Tom. I'm going to say nine. Okay. KJ? So, Tom, I was thinking nine because in the movie he gets 10 or 11. I don't really remember. But for some reason, I'm going to go with seven. The number seven stuck in my head. Seven was the previous oh. meow record. Okay. Meow Mahoney, what do you think? I choose six. And the correct answer is six. Mahoney gets the point. There are a lot of um, 
interesting characters, especially in the main crew and their crazy antics. I wanted to take this moment for us to either gush or hate on different uh, different routines they did. So feel free, any of the main characters, anything that jumped out at you, positive or negative. The games they play we're, we're supposed to like, right? So the, the two major games are that we know are the Meow game and the Repeat. Um, and and these, seem, these games seem to be on a sort of Rolodex. They could just say the name of them and, and it inspires a, a particular action. And it seems to be like the they're able to do that and do that well. And that's why they're in the in-group. They're the group we like. And it's people like Farva who, who can't figure it out. He can't do it cool. Instead of playing the meow game, he calls it the, the P-word game and another foul word he uses. Uh, and that's why we hate Farva because he can't uh, joke and jibe with the people, right? He's, he's too awkward for that. You know what, though? I would say I love to hate Farfa, though. He's actually, when it comes to some of the quotes, some of my favorite quotes and some of my uh, favorite moments of the movie are this unlikable cop. Yeah, but he's still on the outside. There's an in-group and he's not part of it. Yeah, but I I think you kind of need him. I mean, you you establish this ridiculousness. um, And I mean, think about if you got pulled over, if you were in Jim Gaffigan's shoes and, you know, can I see your license and registration? Meow. What What would you do? I mean, you 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 know, it would probably take you thirty to forty seconds to figure out what was going on, um, which I think is what makes these games absolutely ridiculous, as they couldn't possibly happen, or you would think they couldn't possibly happen. Um, but then you lend somebody like Farva to these games, um, and my favorite part of the whole bit where uh, where he runs up and yells at the the people in the car; those are actually his parents. Um, and they didn't know what he was going to yell at them before he yelled at them, which makes it that much funnier, I think, to me. Um, but I, I think you need a character like him that just, you know, really doesn't understand the game, doesn't understand the humor behind it, doesn't understand the good nature of it. That really is what helps you like, you know, Mac and 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 everybody else when they when they are playing these games. Yeah, you need somebody to define the borders, right? Like what is what is acceptable? We know. Um, because their, their antics are so crazy, we learn how this group of friends works because of Farva. He's, uh, he's the foil that we need. Yeah, a lot of the comedy in this movie comes from its irreverence to cops. Kind of what Mahoney was saying, could you imagine if a cop did this? It is kind of what, what takes you aback and, and hits those humor neurons in, in your brain. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't take their job very seriously they take the competition seriously because they're going to lose their job, lose their paycheck, but they also, um, they take their, their joking very seriously, right? They take that community's rules very seriously. And I guess the movie does establish that they're not incompetent and joking around. They're actually, they're good enough at what they're doing that they can joke around. Whereas Farva does not fit that bill. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the edge here about how competent they are. <laughs> yeah, I get they don't really accomplish much in the movie per se. Yeah, they they fail at their goal and justifiably so. Mm-hmm. Now, aside from Farva, were any of the other ones really jumping out at you though of the rest of the crew? 
not not really they, they sort of blend together i, I mean um uh, mac is sort of the more of the the prankster type um but i you know i didn't find him as memorable as, as thorny who's just sort of um you know played by the director who isn't really much of an actor but he seems like uh, such such a sweet guy that you you sort of <laughs> you sort of like him and he does have kind of a natural air of leadership which makes sense why he would be the director and 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 i think like you're saying tom the the scene that really shows that is when he's paired up with farva you realize that even though he's he's stuck with farva now he he is giving you know he's putting his best foot forward with with farva that likability i think part of what we like about him is he's putting up with farva for his bit there you mean in car ramrod yes yep yeah i think ramathorn is the maybe he's the highest ranking or he's the the leader but mac is definitely the 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 the, i don't know the little brother the the leader of the insanity i mean that entire scene at the shooting range with the cup um i mean you could tell he was the ringmaster which that that scene is my favorite quote out of the movie um, which I won't repeat on your podcast, but <laughs> clearly establishes, you know, Ramathorn may be the, the leader in rank, but Mac is clearly the, the leader of their hearts. And we're introduced to him as the prankster, even right from the beginning, because he's the one who went driving by real fast. And that whole series of events that happened after that, when they had the uh, three college kids <laughs> in their patrol car. So even from the get-go, they set the, the tone up for him to be in that role. Yeah, and then Rabbit tries to imitate him later. Unsuccessfully, though, Farva comes, uh, <laughs> cracks down on him. Yeah, he, 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 Mac doesn't have another plot going on, right? Farva has to prove himself. Thorny has this thing with his girlfriend and their sexual escapades, um, you know, and, and Foster is the kind of the main romantic lead, oddly enough, because he's such a dud of a guy right he's he's just this like un, he just is in every way unimpressive it's odd that they chose him for the romantic lead um but but mac because he's sort of peter pan-esque in the fact that he has no responsibilities is able to kind of clown better or, or more pronounced than anyone else it's time for question two the following question should be answered from vermont state trooper farver's perspective Hey, Farva, what's the name of that restaurant you like with all the goofy stuff on the walls and the mozzarella sticks? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in? Tom. I have no idea. Uh, burger stuff? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. KJ. Shenanigans. Mahoney. Shenanigans? You guys talking about shenanigans? <laughs> the points are going to go to KJ and Mahoney. He pokes his head out and says, you mean shenanigans? Uh, this is the scene where the Captain O'Hagan says he will pistol whip the next person who says shenanigans. <laughs> so the reason I brought this one up is I wanted to talk about their comedic style. And I, I feel this movie is very quote driven more than many others, at least in my opinion, when I rewatched it, all I can think about is all the quotes I know in my head. And I haven't seen this movie since college. So are there any quotes that jump out of you? Or do you think that was a, su a successful style to just have these like quote driven 
type dialogues? Well, I, I think that's kind of what makes this movie more of a, a cult hit than it was an original cinematic success. Like it didn't review well, it didn't do well in theaters, but once people caught on DVD, I mean, next thing you know, you got people playing the meow game. You got, uh, you know, uh, I want a large farva. You got shenanigans. You got uh, a bar of soap, bite it rabbit. I mean, some, you know, using language that I, I won't use on your podcast. Um, you know, snozberries taste like snoz. I mean, you, you could quote, you know, 75% of the movie. It doesn't lend anything to any cinematic depth, but it certainly makes it massively entertaining. I have no idea why I always thought it was really funny when Farva orders a liter of cola. It's just so unassuming, but it just hits. <laughs> it's very Canadian, right? Because they're on the border there. It, it's like a very Canadian thing. Um, yeah, I think that the, the quotiness of it is comes from the, the improv style. And Broken Lizard was an improv team in New York, weren't they? And... Um, which is where this is filmed. This film is filmed in like the Palisades region, I think. Yeah, I didn't know the location, but I know they were. Yeah, I know. I, I think the um, the bar they go into in the first scene in the, in the beginning when they chase down Mac, I've been in that bar. I think that's in Newburgh, New York. But um, yeah, so that's kind of what happens in, in a kind of improv thing where you just keep recording and recording. You end up kind of generating these quotes out of these circumstances. I don't know how much of this is written down. But that's what it feels like, like the, you know, and, and, and smoking the reefer, you know, that, that quote, um, you know, that, that, uh, that was how I was introduced to the movie in college. People was, people were saying that, but I think that's just their, their style, the broken lizard style. They did meet in Colgate University in 1989, which is in Hamilton, New York. Which is also known as a big party school. Colgate actually had to crack down on their party atmosphere because they were losing people because it was like I a was, real stoner school. I was reading some backstory, even some of the parts of this movie in the beginning when the uh, kids get what well, kids the college yeah college kids get pulled over and they have to eat the mushrooms and all that that was actually based on a true story when they were going up to canada <laughs> and they got in trouble for the marijuana but somebody ate all the shrooms and they were in the police station and one of the other people um said that they smuggled it in because if they waited to the other guy who was tripping in the police station so that was based on true story they got banned from canada for a year and like the one person got banned for like seven years so there's some truth to that story tom i think that was uh quite the party school and it looks like they were members of the beta theta pi fraternity yeah, which is what we're watching, right? We're watching a fraternity story in one sense. I mean, you could, I, I, my reading of this is that it's a, a workplace comedy, but a Gen X workplace comedy. And what, you know, what you're seeing is something in the tradition of meatballs or office space. KJ, you said when we were talking offline that it was a uh, stripes. Um, yeah, possibly similar to stripes. Yeah. Clerks is really sort of the the archetype here for, for this kind of slacker Gen X workplace comedy. But I think also, this has kind of a, a correspondence with with Animal House as well, that it is a, a fraternity movie um, because something like like Clerks is really, oh, this job sucks. We're just I'm just here. I'm this, you know, until I can leave because I need money. And, and, you know, there's these things that are ancillary to the job and the job is just a sort of a, a location for these things to happen. 
Um, but with this, if you think of the the highway patrol people as a fraternity, in the way we think of Animal House as as being centered in this fraternity, uh, you know, a lot of the pranks sort of make more sense. I think. I feel like I say this a lot on this show. Um, this is another one of those movies I wish I didn't sit by myself and watch with my headphones on. Um, uh, I'm, I'm particularly imagining watching this with my roommate who had one of those wonderful laughs that no matter what you start laughing at, you're watching Everybody Loves Raymond and all of a sudden it's the funniest show ever because your roommate, uh, he just has one of those infectious laughs. So I feel like this is a movie you got to watch with a crowd that's in a bit of a silly mood to, um, to really appreciate the humor. Yeah, that, that's any comedy, right? I mean, comedy just needs friends <laughs> to, to, to help it along. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's probably... I, I mean, that's also the cult phenomena. The cult phenomena is an audience in time as opposed to an audience in place, right? And so, the you know, the audience kind of pass is, you know, uh, diachronic instead of synchronic. It just passes down the quotes over and over again. So the, the quotes um, become funny, not because they're surprising anymore, but because they're um, they're recognizable to a particular group of people in a place. It had been many years since I've seen this. I know I saw it back when it first came out in the college. Heck, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm positive Mahoney. I probably watched it in a similar uh, setting at some point with a, a bunch of friends. But one thing I noticed, and again, because I have all the quotes, the whole movie is in my brain. Seeing it years later, I actually thought I was going to like it more during this watch than I did. So I don't know if it's just because I had such fond memories and had a high expectation of it going in, but I thought I previously liked it more than I did when I rewatched it for this show. But I think it may just be, I knew every line, everything that was coming. So I don't know where, you, if, I know everyone here has seen it before. What were your opinions on this watch versus prior watches? Um, I wasn't overly excited to revisit uh, Super Troopers when it was brought up, um, but it, it wasn't um, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. It was it was funny, you know. It was um, the antics are funny. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> was like, we're taking this outside. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that the same as my first watch. It's just my expectations, I guess, were different. But it, it is hard to watch something like this without a group of people it's also hard to watch something like the the, the discipline thing the the discipline that is required because you have to write things down and remember things for a quiz show that affects the the audience experience i mean this is you know this is a three four beer deep film or you know an edible film <laughs> it's it's not um it's not something that you really should be watching with care. <laughs> you should be watching with a group of people who are a little toasted. And so I think uh, my experience too, you know, kind of like living alone and watching this movie, taking notes on it is it also takes away from the experience. Yeah. So, I, I mean, KJ had asked me, uh, I guess shortly after I, you know, I picked the movie, if I had seen the sequel and I just watched the sequel actually a few months ago, just kind of on a whim on Amazon. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of the same, kind of different. Like you can imagine some of the bits are the same. There, Jim Gaffigan comes back. You get the Canadian uh, aspect of it as that's kind of the, the driving plot instead of the local Smokies. Um, but when I was watching uh, this the other day and KJ mentioned to me that we weren't, I, I wouldn't get to pick my favorite snack to watch the movie with. It, it completely coincidentally, I was actually at that moment watching the scene where they're chugging syrup 
and I had a, a French toast and syrup flavored beer in my hand. Um, and it was, I didn't plan it out that way. Like I wasn't going to say that. Mm -hmm. So I could be like, Hey, this is my cool fun snack. Mm -hmm. It just happened to be what I pulled out of the fridge. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I like, I can't watch this movie and take notes. I didn't take notes. My wife was sitting there watching with me. She's like, what do they ask you about that? I was like, if I don't remember it at this point, like, you know, I, I just don't. Um, so I totally agree. You, you can't watch this movie without two or three or four beers and preferably in non-pandemic times, two or three or four friends. Yeah, that might have been what was missing from the equation on my side here, because there was there was something lacking in this watch. Yeah, I mean, imagine trying to memorize improv sketches as they're coming along, <laughs> right? Like you're, you're just trying to remember what that last person said. I mean, it would be defeating the purpose entirely. Okay, well, at the end of round one, Mahoney is in the lead with two points. KJ, he's got a point on the board. This is a strong showing from KJ. Wow. And Tom is here, okay? We're going to move to a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. I'm here to tell you that the inventors of the Slammy Boy want to invite you to try their new product. It's a long piece of metal shaped kind of like an uppercase T that has a claw at one end and a flat face on the other. You can use Slammy Boys for all kinds of chores around the house. If you need to press a long metal fastener with one sharpened end, sometimes called a nail, into a piece of wood, Slammy Boy is the right tool for you. If you want to knock down a dilapidated wood structure, just grab the Slemmy Boy and smash the flattened end into the wood that you want to get rid of. They are now equipped with a rubber grip to help you hold the thing more securely and generate more force whenever you're using your Slammy Boy. Also, let's say you need to pull some of those sharpened metal fasteners that are attached to the wood. Well. That's why those inventors made a claw that can grab the top of the metal fasteners and pull them out of the wood. The claw part works like a lever and helps you rip things away. It is tight. That's why the inventors of the Slammy Boy can't wait to share their product with everyone, from professional contractors to hobbyists, from homeowners to renters. Pick up your Slammy Boy today. Slammy Boy. It's definitely not a hammer. And we're back. Before we continue in round two, Mahoney, we ask each guest a critical question. If you could watch Super Troopers with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Alive. No. Um, I assume... Uh, <laughs> I, so I, I was trying to come up with the, the like the one person who I would want to watch it with. And maybe it would be like, you know, Steve Lemmy who plays Mac or, uh, or anybody else for that matter. And, and I think the answer is kind of the conversation we just had. Like it, it's six or eight of your closest friends. It's the bowling team from college. It's your Friday night beer buddies or whatever the story is. Like that's who you got to watch this movie with. So we got to watch this movie post pandemic is what you're telling me. Yeah, we'll circle back. We'll get that French toast beer and we'll watch We it. got this all wrong with our timing. Oh, man. And I was just trying to add a little levity to the lineup. We'll find some St. Ankies and go to town. Oh, there you go. You ready for the fun part? <laughs> oh, I'm ready for the fun part. So how many people did you guys watch this with back in the day? Any idea? Was it five? Was it 100? Was it two? 
Probably a dozen. I imagine it was right. It was probably like the better part of the bowling yeah. team. I mean, you got to figure like Modelevich and us and Simons and Andy and Jabby and yeah, you're probably talking ten or twelve. Yeah, this is a I'd good say. bowling team movie. I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not. I was never on a bowling team, but this just feels like a bowling team movie. This is it. This is it. That and Kingpin. Yeah, and the Big Lebowski. Yes. yes. <laughs> There's probably a marathon at one point. Oh, that's funny. Did you guys see it in theaters? Mm -mm. I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I, I think we ended up with it on DVD. Isn't it weird we can't remember how we saw movies? I was talking about this with um, a colleague of mine. We were talking about back in the day, you'd watch Terminator 2 on TBS on a smallish TV with just two speakers, right? It, it's no theater experience. But when I remember Terminator 2, it's the, the special effects and everything are as bombastic as, as if I was in a theater. Isn't it a little strange we can't remember how we watched and environment we were in when we were watching these movies we we re-watch so many movies especially the movies that stay with us the movies we remember really distinctly are probably films we always re-watch and so any kind of memory we have is complicated by um by this kind of a reflection of a past memory which is then subsumed into the new viewing and so, you know, any kind of like your memory of Terminator 2 is probably a collection of memories and a collection of events. The only thing they share in common being Terminator 2. And so it's sort of, it comes out of time for you, right? Because all of those times are lost, but Terminator 2. Terminator 2 retains the same quality it always had. Um, you, you can maybe improve the quality because of the speakers or the, or the quality of the television or what have you. Um, but that thing frame by frame still exists, even though those spaces and the person you were in those spaces is long gone. You can never improve the quality of the T-1000. It was revolutionary. It's time for question three. We're guided through the major plot line involving a drug smuggling operation through the presence of a cartoon monkey insignia. From what genre of cartoon does Johnny Chimpo originate? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Afghanimation? Afghanimation. It's Afghanistanimation. <laughs> I was yeah. trying to get that. I, I knew the trick, but I couldn't line up the syllables. I was, I was thinking anime. How do I get Afghan anime together? It uh. was none other than Afghanistan animation. <laughs> so I just had to squeeze this question in because it was awesome. But that, that made me laugh. That was yeah. the thing. I had forgotten about that. <laughs> So the, the points go to Mahoney, but really I just wanted to use this as an excuse to actually explore the movie plot that is in this movie. Does it work? Was it a perfect backdrop for this comedic journey? What do you guys think about the actual plot? The, the, I mean, it's barely there, right? <laughs> Apparently the local cops are helping the, this group of um john chimpo i guess is their brand the ship weed maybe into canada i i, I don't know it, it's just like there's a competition in order to keep the station alive um it, it doesn't really matter right i mean the, the general plot doesn't really matter and the um the the dramatic climax um is interesting because it's entirely accidental the crew the highway patrol comes upon a drug bust um, 
kind of by accident while they're in, intoxicated having stolen a police car and then just fight a bunch of cops you know in the middle of a uh, kind of a, a handmade airfield so you know the, the plot is not it, it's not it's like any of these things right the plot is a is a very loose nail to hang this picture on can we do spoilers for Zootopia? Is that okay? Anybody looking to watch Zootopia in the next? Go for it. Yeah, I've I think it's the same plot. Zootopia. <laughs> it's the same. Isn't it the same plot? I, Am I, I misremembering Zootopia? I think it's the same. I, I, I've seen it, but I don't remember. I, I have a feel. I'm going to say yes. I don't I'm remember sure. either. Uh, I think it was Corrupt Cops. Maybe not um, weed, but it was some kind of... Acorns. <laughs> oh, no, no. It was the drug turning them into mean animals which that's not that different than yeah that's true zootopia wait so zootopia copied them actually right 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 yeah or it's just just a thing a common (laughs) trope (laughs) super troopers copied serpico and that's (laughs) well going back i mean that that is an interesting observation and i think you're right they actually did have very similar plots uh, different different stories uh, different characters um but what i was going to say to tom's comment was they really failed upwards it's like the perfect example of failing upwards they didn't do anything right and even in that scene this is the one part and i'm i'm going to go there just analyzing the plot to this movie because that's what we do is just look too deeply into things you don't need to look deep into Ursula pretty much was like, I know they were doing this all along, but I didn't want to tell you guys. So I was going to kind of throw these breadcrumbs so you could maybe figure it out on your own. But then I needed to really kind of tell you anyway. Yeah, the the delay mechanism makes no sense. Right. I mean, she's I guess she's worried about losing her job and then she isn't because she likes this doofy redheaded guy. (laughs) But uh yeah, I, again, it's like the plot doesn't matter, right? It's those are the bad. It's in, in group and out group. The out group is bad, right? And so they're competing with the out group. You know, for, they're bad for whatever reason. Yeah, and and bringing in the whole Johnny Chimpo and Afghanistan animation doesn't like it doesn't add complexity, but it gives you the opportunity to have the scene where they're in the evidence locker getting stoned with the German they just arrested. It gives the opportunity for um for what's his name the the chief. Uh, Brady to constantly be like, can you get uh, Alex the alligator out of lockup and make all those stupid jokes? I mean, it's all it does is just add to the ridiculous. It doesn't help. It doesn't add to the plot. There's no reason for them to watch the cartoon. right? What was I'm just trying to think this is a random, but what was the name? The guy who was smuggling had a really weird name. Does anyone remember it? Galakinokas. There you go. It's time for question four. After Captain O'Hagan and his officers were congratulated for their brave, impressive, but utmost of all, their unorthodox tactics in thwarting the drug smuggling ring and extreme police corruption, what was their reward? Locked in. Locked in? Yeah, I'm with Mahoney. I guess I'm locked in. KJ, tell me what you locked in with. All right, so they're sitting on the deck or the porch. I don't know. And he's reading the letter and they get to the end. They know they're shut down. I don't remember if the letter has a specific reward, but one way or another, they are now the local cops. So I'm going to go with, they are now the local cops. 
Uh, yeah, I was going to agree with KJ. They got a letter from the governor and then they became the Spurbury Police Department. I was going to say they got a letter from Wonder Woman and now they're the Spursbury Police Department. <laughs> what? Is that a, a Spursbury a Wonder Woman joke? Is that the... No, the governor was played by Linda Carter. Who was oh, the original Wonder Woman. That, okay, that makes more. That's the joke. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She did get a credit. <laughs> Guest starring. The points go to everybody. It was a bit of a trick question. So two points to all. Uh, it does look like Mahoney will be taking down this episode. Coincidentally, he's the one who recommended this movie. I, I see a correlation here. So... I have watched it 17 <laughs> times in the last two days. <laughs> or was it one time with 17 beers? <laughs> it's the same. It was 17 times with 17 beers each time. <laughs> oh, that's the way to watch it, right? <laughs> so it was a bit of a trick question. In that letter, it just went back to the fact that they are in uh, a bind when it comes to budgets, okay? So, uh, tight fiscal challenges or something to that degree. But the reality is in the end, because the whole, almost the whole entire local police department of Spurbury was in trouble. The only one left was Ursula. They pretty much just got new jobs there and they were able to stay. So in the end, they did have a happy ending, if you will, here. Um, But what I actually will say, I like that little somewhat twist at the end uh usually in these movies they hit their objective and then okay they're good they're gonna live happily ever after here they put a it's the smallest twist in the world okay but i think it played out nicely actually creating some uh, resolution to this movie did you guys think that was a good use of the ending there or did you think it was a cop-out i mean it's in the spirit of the rest of the movie right in the beginning we see them with literally the same people um, messing around with them because these these kids are doing something illegal, and so they're kind of using their authority to to screw with them. And the movie ends with them screwing with them even better. Um, but whenever they screw with people, if the people are kind of cool, they might get arrested, but they'll they'll like have fun with them back. Like with the German couple, who um, who Thorny ends up taking to bed with him, he takes to bed both of them. Uh, you know, and with the kids too, like. Yeah, they arrest them, but then they also kind of party for what seems to be a few hours. Um, and, and so it, it becomes a, a fine bracket because this movie isn't about like getting the job done or character development or growth or anything like that. The fact that they're back where they started at the end, despite massive incompetence, um, is is almost the point itself, right? It, it's... It's stasis. It's Gen X stasis. We're not going anywhere and we don't give a damn about it anyway. Yeah. And I, I think the fact that they ended up getting shut down and then becoming the Spurberry Police Department gives you that whatever it is, 45 seconds or two minutes of confusion when the uh, thorn and rabbit show up dressed like St. Anki beer deliverers. So you get, you know, the moment where the, the kids are torturing them where to put the keg you're kind of with them like oh man they're gonna have to they're delivering beer now for a living because they can't be cops anymore and then you get the rush of oh they you know they you know are, are you ready for a surprise i'm ready for a surprise and they you know rip off the uniforms and the police come in and then you know you get the whole scene where 
the one guy clucks like a chicken and Farva throws a fire extinguisher at him. Like if, if they don't get shut down, you don't really get, I guess, some of the magic of that scene. So yeah, it doesn't necessarily make the plot of the movie any better, but the plot of the movie doesn't make the movie any better either. It's all the kind of like jumping from sketch and quote from to sketch and quote. After they finished that letter, there was the literal line from Mac that I didn't see that coming. And then they go fade to black, <laughs> pause, reset, beer delivery. <laughs> I always liked that ending. You know, I, I thought it was fun. Yeah, it, it's it's about none. It's it's about not going anywhere, right? It's Clerks. Clerks is also does this where you know you kind of um, you Clerks ends on a kind of darker bit of humor, but you you don't develop or grow, right? It's it's the point of these kind of slacker comedies. Slacker comedies are like, yeah, we're slackers, and and sometimes it's about the slacker evolving to become a respectable part of society. But the, you know, being a slacker, being able to continue that lifestyle in spite of, you know, the world kind of pushing you forward um, is what these are about. When you were talking about cops that like to party with the people they're playing, they're, they're messing with, it actually made me think of Bill Hader and Seth Rogen's roles in Super Bad. I'm not sure if everyone here has seen that. Uh, I actually might want to go over that movie one day. I do enjoy that comedy, coming of age comedy. But they take that to the next level where literally they're driving around with this one person and the whole night are getting into some serious trouble <laughs> with that person, drinking, firearms, just all kinds of insanity. So that just made me think about that to the next level of versus what we saw here in super yeah the, the, i mean super bad's a little more sophisticated in the sense that the uh the the cop story is the the b plot and the a plot is a is a true coming of age story right these characters have to go on and be adults at the end of it this is about um this is this movie is kind of an anti-adulting movie it's about not it's about not growing up or accepting your responsibility it's about getting away with it would you compare it to Shaun of the Dead at all? Does Shaun of the Dead have similar? Oh, no. Shaun of the Dead's the opposite. Shaun of the Dead is at the end of Shaun of the Dead. Shaun is with his girlfriend. Um, Shaun has shown responsibility. He's saved the day. And we could argue how well he saved the day. But he's, um, you know, he's kept his head on straight. And at the end, he's he's grown up, right? Shaun of the Dead is about getting out of the bar, not becoming a zombie. That's that's the whole thing. The, the Shaun of the Dead is the nightmare version of this film. This film is about getting away with it, about screwing around your whole life. Shaun of the Dead is about you, you screw around your whole life and you end up like a zombie in the bar, right? It's death in life. This movie has no conception of that. It's it's the opposite. I mentioned it earlier, but they really do fail upward. They don't do anything they need to do, or if they do, it's not on purpose. And they still end up okay in the end, continuing the way they were acting even in the beginning. So it's there's really not much growth of the characters. They get away with it. It's time for Movie Rent. Um, but, you know, my, my kind of reading of this is that this is a subversion of what's called a hard-boiled comedy. That's why I called this a soft-boiled in my my word, a hyphen word, so it, it still counts as one. <laughs> um, but the, the hard-boiled was a 
it's kind of known more for for detective noir and things like that. But it's it's a type of comedy that comes out of the 1920s. Um, in plays like What Price Glory, which was a World War One play, um, the Maurice Watkins play Chicago, which was later adapted into a musical by Cantor and Ebb, which we, yeah, it's pretty famous now. Um, and the idea of the of the hard boiled uh, later on, it would be things like uh, Robert Altman's Mash, right? Mash from 1970 or from the 1940s, His Girl Friday, the Howard Hawks movie from uh, the Ben Hecht play called The Front Page. And what all of those things have in common, um, and I think MASH is probably the best thing to highlight here, is it's about people who are working, um, who are tough, who are going to have some fun, um, but are really, really good at their job. And they see the world in terms of people who are competent and people who are incompetent. Right. And so MASH, the doctors can get high, they can screw around, they can cheat and all this stuff. However, what they value is good doctoring on the war front. And so that's why that, that world is divided into the competent and the incompetent. And then all the shenanigans are permissible by the competent people. Um, and you know that, that is true of Chicago too. Chicago, if you think of the musical, right? It's about like really a really good lawyer. Like this dude knows this job. Um, and the people who get screwed over are people who don't get it, who don't get the system. And yet, because you get the system, you're able to do kind of crooked, maybe even definitely illegal things. I mean, a woman gets away with murder. <laughs> That's the plot of Chicago. And we cheer her on because she's competent. Um, what I think this movie, and I think Clerks does this, I think Office Space does this, and I think this does this, is I think that's this is a Gen X middle finger in a, in a way, even an unintentional middle finger or an unconscious middle finger to that kind of hard-boiled workplace thing where we now have um, uh, uh, these people at the job, right? Office space clerks and this, it's all about people at their job who hate their job or who don't care about doing their job really well. I don't think these, I don't think the super troopers hate their job. I think they just want to joke around, right? They're, they're not, you know, they, they don't care about being competent unless it costs them their job, right? That's the only time they're really alive to to, to doing their job well is that there's a danger. Um, but, you know, you can see it in Clerks too, right? Dante in Clerks doesn't care about clerking well. You know, it, it's entirely irrelevant. And I think it's really like this Gen X modification of the, the hard-boiled comedy which is, it's no longer, you are able to do the kind of silly, illegal, pranksterish thing despite competence because competence itself sucks and we wanna give the middle finger to that. And I think this movie is part of that type of, of tradition. Can you think of any other more recent films that fit into that soft boiled category? Yeah, this this thing I'm making up. Um, hey Tom, how about um, did you see? Is it called Empire Records? The one that takes place in a. You know, I haven't seen Empire Records. It sounds right though. It's very much a slacker. Yeah, a bunch of slackers working I mean, slackers in. Slackers. Oh, I haven't seen slackers, but yeah, Empire Records. A bunch yeah. of slackers essentially working in a record store and enjoying working in a record store. They don't do quite as many pranks, I don't think, but um, mm -hmm. and similar thing, they kind of succeed uh, by not doing too much, really. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think, like clerk, clerks, clerks too. Um, 
I was just trying to think all these ones seem like good fits for the category, the way you're describing it. They just mm-hmm. were in nineties, two thousand. I was just trying to think if there was anything. It's, it's Gen X. Yeah. Right? I think yeah, it really I was trying is. To think if there a... is anything soon. Mm-hmm. I think it was kind of a period of time. Yeah. I, I think it is. A, I think it is a, a, a specifically Gen X thing. Cause right. That's the kind of Gen X attitude, you know, it's, it's the whatever Nirvana grunge attitude. I think, the, I think you see that less with kind of millennial, millennial filmmakers coming of age and making stuff because i think empire records does fit that kj and that was like 95 that's why i was trying to see if i could think of anything more modern but i don't i think there was a period as tom is saying where this was just the group or the uh perspective that was being put out there well if 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 tom's uh hypothesis holds water here the gen z should be another lull in the population right you had the boomers then gen x is low millennials are high gen z should then be the next lull we might get more something similar maybe not exactly slackers but another similar different attitude towards the workplace that'll generate these kind of movies and it, it may be um kind of an at home or streaming mm. type thing you know kind of like what we're doing now <laughs> that, that that you know it, it's it's kind of pranksterish stuff surrounding that type of work environment the digital work environment and the kind of crap you can pull in, in a digital way. But I do think I do think it's a specific Gen X antithesis to this sort of mash generation thesis. However, for the super troopers, competence is not that important. What competence is, is pranking well, right? Farva is not competent, not because he's a bad cop, even though he's a bad cop. We know he's incompetent because he doesn't get the meow game. The meow game doesn't work for Farva. He, he just he's too dumb, right? Or he's not good in that way. Um, That's not saying much if you're too dumb for the meow game. Yeah. But for, for like the, the doctors on MASH, they can save people's lives. They can do their job well. And that permits them to be um, kind of sexually open and even aggressive towards the nurses, right? And the people who are authority figures, uh, Robert Duvall's character in MASH, are often... Um, incompetent in terms of their job. So Duvall is this, you know, tough as nails, military figure who tells people what to do, but he's, he's bad at his job. And it's all the kind of hip hippie-esque military people who are good at their job and who stand as a foil to the, that, that kind of authority. Authority does not equal competence in Super Troopers or in MASH. So one of the, one of the jokes that uh, kind of stuck out to me is Farva's at the gas station and he sees a sign that you get like a free hot dog or something if you get so many gallons of gas. And so he, he does it, right? He's, he's, is he overloaded? Does he overload it? I was so distracted by. No, he dumps it oh, in, he the puts it in the garbage or something. I was waiting for. I think you had to have a $10 purchase. It was, it was a free was hot dog with 10 gallons and he was at like 9.2. There you but go. There's, I, all I could think of a hot dog is cheaper than a gallon of gasoline. So I, I, but the joke just, it may have worked in 2001, but now it should be the other way around. If you get a hot dog, we'll give you a, a half a gallon of gasoline <laughs> or something. But I was waiting for a Zoolander scene there anyway. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think gas might've uh, been uh, a buck or something. I don't know. Yeah, in 2000, in 2001, yeah. it was, uh, I was under $2. Yeah. I think, no, it was, it might have even been around a dollar. Yeah, it was probably around a dollar. It was around yeah. a dollar. I think the cheapest I ever saw gas as a driver was 77 cents. That just gave him a reason to see that car go by really fast. 
that's he yeah. was at the gas station that's mm-hmm. it was just a device to get you to that next scene of him chasing down rabbit but it, it is a pretty funny gimmick in terms of him just putting some uh you know gasoline in a garbage can just for the premise of getting a hot dog um and i mean the, the other food scene with farva the one where they de-louse him at the police station but instead they use powdered sugar and as he's walking out you know he's like licking his fingers um after they you know you get a little full frontal kevin heffernan well i also <laughs> like the part where he he says it's powdered sugar and then the captain or whatever the person in charge says something he goes he cuts him off it's delicious <laughs> Yeah, he's trying to be tough, but he doesn't know how to be tough. <laughs> I, I, what did you guys think about Brian Cox in, in this movie? Because he seemed to have a, a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine they paid him very much. Well, this was actually a different role because he usually does more serious roles. So this gave him a chance to uh, flex his comedic muscles. And it also, they were saying, gave them a little bit more legitimacy to get a few other actors involved. So... That actually was probably one of the things that propelled this movie a little bit further, even at Sundance, and and, and maybe attracted some other audiences. Yeah, and Daniel von Bargen too was the uh, uh, what's a uh, uh, Grady? Yes, Police exactly. Grady, exactly. Yeah, the two of they, them. Mm-hmm. Although, yeah. whenever I see that actor, I think of the Seinfeld episode when he was George Costanza's boss. And he yeah. has the mole on his back. See that picture? The mole was the same size. Yeah, well, so Brian Cox did get to play the heavy in the movie for the most part. He was the one who actually spurred them to do work. But it was kind of fun towards the end. You saw him, I don't want to say crack, but kind of smile when they did the the firing range scene where he takes the gun. Um, and he's like, oh, in my day, the rookie used to get naked. And then he pulls out the gun and he shoots the window out of the car. And then he says, well, we also used blanks. I love that quote. I love that whole scene. Oh, yeah. That's and so then at the end when me. he just gets tanked and then he's, you know, knocking... Um, knocking Grady's mailbox over and just drunk. And so, you know, he plays the heavy through the entire movie. And then at the end, he kind of gets to have a little fun. Yeah. Yeah. He seemed to have, have been enjoying himself. Um, and Grady's a lot of fun too. The actor who plays that watching the two of them kind of, uh, they have a few, I think only one scene together, an extended scene together. Uh, and that was fun to watch the, the, these kind of two veterans. Are you referring to the scene where O'Hagan is in Grady's office? That was one of the scenes yeah. that they had. And yeah, they yeah, also, yeah. of course, had the fight at the end. But that, I think yeah. that's maybe little encounters, but that mm. one in the office was the... the well, and the, the little interaction they had yeah. at the uh, the waffle establishment in the beginning when Brian has to apologize because when mm. they get that syrup in them, they get a little antsy in their pantsy. <laughs> By the way, they actually did chug syrup they tried to do it with like iced tea or something but it didn't give that authentic look so they definitely had a a sugar high and maybe a sugar coma after uh that scene but that that actually was not a prop that is legit (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week which is mahoney congrats my friend Mm. i think yay that didn't seem very genuine guys come on (laughs) <laughs> the crowd goes wild. <laughs> On that note, check out our website, talkingpicturestrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive views as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. What's your favorite Super Troopers quote and why? 
Let's continue the conversation on Twitter at Talking Studios. Thanks again, Mahoney, for joining us today. Where can people find you? Uh, I guess at my house sometimes or at work other times due to the pandemic um, or on the internet. Uh, I occasionally go by Mr. M.R. Pahoney, P-O-H-O-N-E-Y. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Thomas Lehman 15 And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. Join us next time when we discuss a trio of shorts, including George Lucas's student film project, THX 1138, Juanjo Jimenez Pena's Time Code, and the Brothers Quay's Street of Crocodiles. Should be a fun one. Talk to you then. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs>